This is false and defamatory, the impact of defamation and weaponized social media. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses topics related to emotional abuse, gaslighting, verbal abuse, threatening language, cyberbullying, intimidation tactics, and thoughts of self-harm which may be triggering for some listeners. The content includes descriptions of manipulative behavior, psychological distress, body shaming, online harassment, and other forms of abusive behavior and emotional trauma. Please take care of yourself and consider your mental and emotional state before listening. If you need support or someone to talk to, please seek help from a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. Thank you for listening. I wanted to bring my mom back in, and you guys heard from her in one of the earlier episodes, but my mom was at the trial with me, and so I wanted to bring her back and kind of let her talk about her experience at the trial, some observations that she made, and some just things that she might remember that I did not remember. And also she had a vantage point that I didn't have. And so welcome back, mom. Hi, thank you for coming back and tell us about, tell us about the trial. Well, I think you've already kind of described the fact that we didn't think we would even have a trial that day because of all the delays. And we knew that there was some desperation on the defendant's side to delay again. So we showed up that day just waiting. And we, we weren't privy to what they were saying in the courtroom. So we were sitting outside. And my friend did come, uh, my best friend. And, of course, uh, Clara was there. And um, it, was, it was excruciating. You know, we did a lot of pacing and just we're very nervous and nervous in a bad way and a good way the bad way was oh we're going to delay again and the good way was oh it's finally here so once i don't remember how you came and told us but eventually you said we're doing it it's today and of course there was a big relief and then again the nervousness and oh my gosh it's finally here We had all the drama before the trial when H decided to settle or did settle, however that was done. And that was that was scary. We again, it was scary. We weren't upset with her, but it was it was a surprise to us. And it was just it was I don't I can't explain the feeling. It was just our heart sunk. Mine did. And again, I don't really know why. It was just kind of a surprise. But in the end, I do believe that it worked out for the best and it it was good for her and and we were very happy for her. Because to me, I know that she was defamed quite a bit and she still is today. But the the brunt of it was against you. And I think that way the jury got to see what really was going on and, and that you had been defamed and it was just it was just terrible. I wanna also say that my opinion when H settled, I think that the defendant thought that was going to make her feel something back for the defendant again and and maybe come back to her or whatever. So again, that's my opinion. Uh, Of course, that's not what happened. It will never happen. But 
that's my opinion. So once we got past that, and when we, we, you and I were discussing, should you get this new lawyer or wait for Todd? You know, it was a little, we didn't know what to do, but the need to move forward was much stronger than the need to wait for Todd. And, and as you mentioned, Todd had, he'd been part of the case, but his knowledge of social media, I felt like was a little bit of a hindrance, although we had Elizabeth and we could depend on her. And Todd, I'm sure, would have done a fantastic job. Yes. And because he he's just a great lawyer. So anyway, we got past that. We got to the day. It was very rainy. I don't remember if it rained the first day. I know the second day it was like downpours, but it was a rainy day. And we found out we were we were having the trial. Uh, I was texting everyone, telling them, you know, it's we're ha- it's happening. So then we had to wait for jury selection. I didn't get to go in. Crystal was in there. That went on for a while. I believe we started after lunch. So once that happened, we got to go in and, and sit in the courtroom. And I was giving, giving strict instructions. Do not show emotion. Sit quietly. Don't make the judge call you down or whatever. Behave. 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 And I'm like, you know, you're not the boss of me. So anyway, I think the reason that that was a focus for you is because Elizabeth and Sarah realized the impact that this had on you, me as your daughter. And now we're going to be facing this woman who has been doing this to our family for almost two years. Mm -hmm. And to have to sit in there and be stoic and not react in a very emotional situation, and our emotions were high. It was a roller coaster. It was a roller coaster. Were we going to have trial? Were we not? And so I imagine, well, I can imagine if it were my daughter. Being in the same room with her was, was difficult to control, but I knew what we needed to do and, and we did it. And it's not saying that I wasn't emotional, but I had, you know, like I said, I had my friend and I had Clara. <laughs> Clara was not real lovey-dovey but Clara does not like hugs and all of that I don't know where this came from but so mom said Clara wouldn't even hug me and so at least I had my best friend but she did she did come through Clara Clara did but anyway so we we were there and again I don't remember all the the order of everything but you know during testimony it was very hard and I did cry several times I tried to kind of not necessarily hide it but I was trying to be very respectful and again it was just listening to the the testimony listening to my daughter she got emotional listening to what we had lived for the two years at that point now it's going on three but the two years it was it was very hard and me knowing that her finally getting to have a voice was very rewarding and very sad and there's all kinds of emotions so as she testified you know we listened and then when the defendant testified i tried not to roll my eyes and not to you know, scream liar and things like that. So uh, it went okay. I did make a point to kind of stare directly at her. She could see me from where she was. I don't know if she looked there, but she knew we were there the whole time. I was surprised that no one, not one person came with her. Very surprised. I don't know. 
I will speculate maybe she didn't want them there because she knew maybe what was going to be said and it was opposite of what she was saying, but maybe not. Maybe she did want them there. I don't know. That's again, that was just speculation. We could have probably had a lot more people there, but again, we weren't even sure there was going to be a trial. On the second day, the rain was just horrendous and Clara had to drive from another town. And when she gets there, she tells us that she almost drowned. No, well, she told you. She told me. She told <laughs> me no that her car nearly floated off of the road and she had gotten off the interstate to get some breakfast and her car actually floated and it landed kind of on a sidewalk. And there were people there that uh, was happening to them. And so someone helped her and they kind of pushed her car back onto the road. And of course, we didn't tell her mom, <laughs> but no uh, it was it was it was a little scary. And so the next day, I don't believe she got off the road, but that second day was terrible, terrible rain. So we go through the trial. We go through the days of, you know, the testimony. I thought my daughter did an excellent job on the stand. She was very poised and uh, professional and answered the questions. And she told absolutely the truth. Absolutely the truth. I believe we counted 10 times that she said she had no username on Gomi. She had never commented on Gomi and Reddit. That doesn't count the deposition. I don't understand to this day the defendant believes that Crystal lied on the stand. I believe she believes that because she, every breath she takes is a lie. So she thinks everyone is like that. It's not true. My daughter doesn't lie. She hasn't lied. She's never lied. So again. Let's not say I've never oh, lied. Well, about this case. Okay. About this okay. case. Yeah, no. We won't go back to teenagers. Yeah. yeah. We don't need to when I would there. threaten you, I will go to the mother's house and make <laughs> sure you're there and that someone else is there. But anyway. No, she, she did not lie at one time about anything to do with this case. But again, the defendant, to continue her narrative, she has to say that you lied. And she constantly tells lies. So I guess she thinks that everyone does that. But anyway, we go through the, the testimony. Uh, it was difficult. You know, there was lunch breaks at the lunch breaks. Sometimes we would go in with them as they were talking, discussing things. Sometimes we didn't. So on the second day, I believe, is when my son-in-law, Caesar, testified. And it was, I know I'm going to cry. He doesn't like to be in front of people. He does. He's very reserved and quiet. But again, I've known through the years that when he speaks, you listen because mm -hmm. it's something important. It's something useful, very wise, and he's very grounded. He's very grounded. His mother did a fantastic job raising him. And he's, uh, and Crystal has taken over that job, although she hasn't <laughs> had to do very much. I believe he's probably raising me. No, he came to me amazing. He I did. take no he credit. Really, really did. So, he begins to speak and the questions come and they honed in on the the feelings of fear and of being attacked and the threats. And yes, it, it was very scary. And some people are going to say, you know, well, why are you talking now? Are you not afraid anymore? Well, here's the thing. She's lost so much power. She doesn't have the people around her that she did before. 
but it was a valid, it was all valid. So they talked about the threats and that uh, my son-in-law was afraid to go and take the kids to the store. And some people think, oh, well, that's kind of silly. It doesn't really matter, but it did matter. He used the example. They don't get to pick out their cereal anymore. <laughs> you know, it's something simple, but he probably enjoyed them going with him and you don't pick a cereal for a kid and then they don't eat it. It just sits in the, in the pantry, but that was a small thing, but it was a big deal. And it was very touching that he's, that he had that thought. And then when they cross-examined him and the, I believe it was the woman, wasn't it? The woman. And she said, well, you were so afraid, but nothing really no one ever physically or no one ever really attacked you and his response was not physically but psychologically every time i went to the store i was being attacked in my mind and that was just i'm sure she realized i should have never asked that question because it was very powerful and as Crystal mentioned, we did see, or we didn't, but the one of the lawyers pointed out that one of the jurors actually wiped away a tear because it was very, very uh, emotional. And it was when, when he was testifying. So that was my son-in-law. And then the psychologist, he spoke and he was very well-versed and had some very, very important and very uh, useful things to talk about. We really enjoyed getting to meet him. He was he was very good. Again, when the defendant was speaking, her credibility wasn't there because she has none. She has no credibility. So it wasn't that she appeared that way. It was the actual truth. She had no credibility. She changed her story from almost one question to the next a few times, changing things. And so it was obvious that she wasn't telling the truth. She has mentioned that she only got to say yes or no answers. And there, there was a time when the judge told her only yes or no answers. But she got to speak. If you listen to the transcript, she did get to speak and she got to say some things. The defendant just was not very credible. Nothing she said made sense. She constantly said that Crystal was all of the users on Gomi. And then she would back off of that. And they had just shown that she had said she was nine profiles and they had just shown it. And then I believe she said, oh no, I didn't say she was all of those people. And, you know, and it was obvious and the jury knew it. And again, I know Crystal said during the jury process, the selection there, a lot of people thought it was just a Facebook drama thing. But once they got into it, I'm sure that they realized, oh no, this was much worse. Crystal's lawyer, Sarah, kept saying that she set out on a campaign to destroy Crystal's reputation. And that's exactly what she did. Part of what Crystal's doing with this podcast is restoring some of that, a lot of that. But we knew that anyone that actually knew Crystal and wasn't tied to the defendant would not believe any of that. Her current employer is very supportive. They know that, you know, Crystal would never do any of those things. And it was odd when she also, Sarah asked her, you have accused Crystal of felonies. And she was like, no, no. You know, it's like, do you not understand what stalking is? Cyber stalking, harassing, all of those things, they're felonies. And 
whenever Sarah was talking about the police report and the defendant was saying, oh, well, you know, they just they couldn't do anything. Sarah held up the police report of 160 some odd pages, 175 pages. She held it up like this so the jury could see how many pages it was and said, I believe they did do their work. They investigated fully. You can see the size of this document. And that, again, was very telling for the defendant that she she wasn't credible. So as my mom, you reviewed all of the footage throughout the defamation. You've seen every post. However, the jury saw what's your estimation? What's your percentage estimation? four or five posts maybe and two or three videos of probably under five or 10 minutes. I don't even think it was 5% of the defamation. And as we've gone through this process and I've seen a few of the, uh, being reminded of some of the videos, I'm like, oh my gosh, we could have shown that one. It's, it was, it was really, Again, we don't know what was behind which ones they chose. You know, they're the lawyers. They understand that. But the fact that Sarah only had a little while. In fact, when we went to break, I don't remember what the testimony had been, but I think I'm the one that said to Sarah, she embedded the video, that video that you just showed, she embedded that in her website. And she said, do we have that? And that's what instigated me taking a flash drive and running through the courthouse, knocking on doors, walking up to people. Do you have a color printer? Can you print this? I need this printed. We're in trial. And they were like, oh, well, go try so-and-so and go try so-and-so. And I just ran. I was running. Do you want to demonstrate that? No, I do not. I do not. So once we got the printout and I took it back to them and that was something that they sent back to the jury. So we did, it was in evidence. It was already in evidence, uh, listed in evidence. So it was just, it was crazy. The whole thing was crazy. And looking back on what they didn't see, had the defendant not so obviously been lying, it, it could have gone the other way. It could have gone the other way. And her lawyer did with his best with what he had to work with. You've seen that she wouldn't respond. She wouldn't meet with them even, you know, during breaks at lunch. So I think he did the best he could do with what he had to work with. So, you know. Yeah, because he never argued really that she had told the truth. What he was arguing was, oh, well, this is just something that shouldn't even be at trial. Your health conditions are pre-existing. And honestly, strategically, that was the best was argument the best. that he could have had. That was the only argument he could have had. It would have been insulting to the jury for him to, to get up there and say with his client being inconsistent with her testimony and, and try to convince the jury that she was credible. That would have been yeah. completely he he, There's no way he could say, well, she didn't say that because there it was either in black and white or on the screen. I mean. And he couldn't say it was true because the police report said there was nothing, there was no criminal activity. You know, he tried to say that they just couldn't find out that she was these people. 
They tried, you know, the IP addresses, et cetera, but that was his only defense. So he really used the only defense he had. So you've seen all the evidence and over and over again, the defendant would say how she was reading and matching up text messages oh or emails with posts to prove that it had to have been me. Have you ever seen no. ever correspondence between myself and the defendant about anything that no. she said was posted? And he has said that. I bet she said it 50 times over the past two years, how she was matching up the text to the post. But again, she didn't turn it over. And if she did turn it over, a good lawyer is not going to insult the judge or the jury by submitting hearsay or, you know, he said, she said stuff. Now, I had this plan and it didn't come to fruition, but I had this plan. I kept telling Crystal, all I have to do is say, we need y'all to show up to the Reddit community because I was there. I was there reading every day because, again, I could learn things that I felt could be helpful. And if she was going to accuse my daughter of being these people, I thought, well, I need to see what they're saying if she's saying it's her. So I kept telling Crystal, all I have to do is say, we need y'all. And multitude of people would show up that day in Cork. And I wanted it to be like this Perry Mason moment where the lawyers would say, okay, who is so-and-so? And they would stand being one of the names that she picked as Crystal. And who is so-and-so? And they would stand. And it would just be like this Perry Mason moment. And some of you are too young to know who Perry Mason is. But I wanted this Perry Mason moment. And we kept saying to the lawyers, let us prove that she is not those people. Let, let us prove it. And he would say, mm -mm, nope. She has to prove that she is those people. And that was excruciating. It was because with my accounting and finance background, whenever you provide an analysis or you are guiding someone to do something or trying to make a presentation to persuade things one or the other, you have to show facts and evidence. And so finding evidence of every single thing that I would say was one of the things that I had done every day in my career. And I knew that I hadn't done this. And so I just was like, can we just, I'm not these people. I'm really not. They're whole entire humans. They're not me. Let's just get them. And Todd and Elizabeth would just say, well, mm. she has the burden of proof since she claimed truth. And I'm like, okay, legal, That's blah, blah, blah. lawyery stuff. Yeah. yeah. I want to say, no, yeah. I am not them. They are not me. We struggle with that a lot. And again, the main one was TNT, Tits and Teeth. And when she actually came out to the Reddit community, with her name that, that, oh, well, I'm this person on Reddit, but I actually am in Centeeth because of all of the things that were discussed. She kept coming up. The defendant kept saying that that was, that, that was Crystal. She kept saying it. Her first lawyer actually got her to submit a little bit of discovery. It wasn't really relevant, but it was a lot of posts from, from TNT. And then when she, and I kept saying to Crystal, we need her. I want her. We need to find TNT. I, I, I couldn't get back on Gomi anymore. I wasn't going to make a, a login because, again, my daughter wanted to truthfully say, I don't know anyone with a Gomi login. So I did not. Mom asked me multiple times. I did. And I, I did. said, no. 
you will absolutely not right. have a username on that website. Again, she's not the boss of me. So I couldn't get back on there to find her. After I made the thread private, I felt like we lost that connection if we were ever able to use it. Because again, this drug out for so long, I kept thinking, okay, they'll let us call this one person because she keeps showing up. But we lost that connection. So randomly on Reddit, she says, I am teeth. I am TNT. And I literally cried. <laughs> I called Crystal and I said, she's there. She's on Reddit. It's this person. So when we found out that she was on Reddit, it was a very emotional time because I knew, <laughs> I of course knew that my daughter wasn't this person. And I kept thinking in the back of my mind, okay, they're going to let us actually call some of these people. And so just to have a way to contact her and I didn't expect her to or anything. I just, it was just something that made me have a little bit of a, a good feeling. Okay. We do know where this person is. So we can, we can get in touch with her if we have to. There were other people that she accused you of being the odd people like Jake from State Farm, Canadian Pop-Tart, some of these others. She had accused a lot of people of being crystal and she you know when she put out the list uh, on reddit a lot of people said oh well i was that person or i'm on the list twice or whatever the subpoenas the subpoena list also when i made a comment on the defendant's social media the one that i made before i got told again to delete it the very first post i did you know say this is a lie i'm crystal's mom i believe and i don't know if i deleted it or she deleted it I told you to do that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure I did then because I do what you say. <laughs> you think. So anyway, after that, I actually got a message, a, a DM from, because I used, you know, of course I used my real name when I made a comment. I got a DM from another follower and she said, I believe everything you say. And so I had been messaging her back and forth. I found out what her Gomi name was and her Reddit name. And we did message back and forth. And she would actually DM me and say, I'm praying for your daughter. I, you know, I, I know that she's telling the truth. You know, she would say a lot of positive things to me. And so periodically, I would even sometimes ask her a little bit about what was going on in Gomi because she was still over there just to have again, some information if we needed it. Another person that the defendant accused Crystal of being of the many was CC1. She is also on Reddit. And I had messaged her a little bit back and forth. I told her early on that I was Crystal's mom. So that, again, just to have some communication, if necessary, so that they would know who I was. So if I was asking questions that might be relevant to the case, that they would know it was coming from a, a good source. Through that correspondence back and forth, obviously I knew CC1 was not my daughter and she knew the defendant was lying, as did everyone else that commented on Reddit. So, you know, I was kind of behind the scenes investigators. And I did not know these things. No, no, I wouldn't tell, <laughs> tell me these things. And so some of the stuff, even that she says now, I'm like, I, I, didn't, I did not know these things. No, because I wasn't doing anything 
there wasn't anything for me to tell. I was just gathering information behind the scenes to find out if we if we needed it. And I did message a few people on Reddit. There was a lot of people posting supporting things for my daughter and I would screenshot them and I would send them and say, look, you know, they believe you. They know that you didn't do any of this and that the defendant's a liar. And it was it was again, we talked about this earlier. It was comforting to me. So I did message a few people and I actually said I'm her mom. When you create the the username, it makes up some funny name. And so I didn't go back and change it to my name, but I did message a few people and say, I'm Crystal's mom and I appreciate what you said. After, you know, my daughter testified, my son-in-law, the psychologist, she didn't have anybody there. Uh, Her husband wasn't there. They didn't call any witnesses. Again, I'm not sure what the witnesses would have said. There's nothing to say. So she portrays she had a bad lawyer. As we just mentioned, he did the best he could. He took the only route that he could take. And so therefore, to me, he was a good lawyer. He couldn't say much because there wasn't anything to say. There was too much, too much evidence, all because she wouldn't shut up. And again, I'm going to ask you this question because I think it was recently asked to you under oath. Would you have dropped the lawsuit had she shut up in the beginning? Yes. The lawsuit was only filed to make her stop. That was it. I I absolutely would have. After the first retraction letter, if she would have gone and said, I got this wrong, I'm retracting all of this. But it came to a point where, no, now, now I'm not stopping. But I absolutely would have dropped the lawsuit. It was never filed with the intent of going forward. It was filed with the intent of showing the seriousness of what was happening. Because initially when I was talking to Todd, it was to send a cease and desist. And he was like, she's not stopping. Let's skip that and just do the lawsuit. That'll make it stop. And she didn't. And then when it came to the point where I decided, okay, this is too far. There's too many retractions. Letters have been sent. Like we're going and we're going all the way. It was at that point that I also said to Todd, don't you dare come to me with a settlement offer ever. Um, No. Because at this moment in time, all I want is that jury verdict. If my motive was just money, my attorneys would have been trying to settle this thing. That's what attorneys do. That's the first thing that they they do. They don't want to go to court. And like the judge said in the transcript, it's taxpayer dollars that pay for that jury trial and for that judge and for that bailiff. And so that's one of the main reasons that attorneys do try to settle out of court. But it became to a point that I said, do not insult me by calling me or emailing me or texting me with any sort of settlement offer whatsoever, because the answer is a hard pass. It was, it was past the point of of doing that. So during the break, one of the breaks, early breaks, Sarah says, I've got to narrow down the exhibit list because it was over 300 exhibits. It was a lot. And so I think she narrowed it down to 10 or 15, maybe. Anyway, I got to narrow it down. So she was working on that list. And then I think Crystal mentioned during the uh, reading of the transcript, she said, Mom, you have to go to CVS and get some flash drives. We have to have flash drives. I mean, Elizabeth had the most panicked look on her face. We had to have a flash drive for each individual exhibit. So if it was a five-second video, 
that had to have its own flash drive. And if it was a post, we had to have a printout of that because the jury went back with a binder. The jury had the actual binder of evidence. Each of the different clips that we showed had to have its own flash drive. And so I was like, okay, well, we'll just send my mom to CBS and she can put this on. She said, we're going to send, you got to go. And I was like, uh, okay, well here, what about these? Can we use these? And she said, yeah, yeah, we can use them. <laughs> so they actually took the files off of them and put them on your computer and formatted them and used my flash drives. So I gave away my flash drives for the cause. A mother's sacrifice. What, what wouldn't I sacrifice for you? My flash drives. They were very important. So we had the little flash drive episode and mom took care of that. And then they gave the jury this charge. And after they did that, they left to go deliberate. I have to tell you, that was the worst, what, two and a half hours? It was more than that. That was they, a long time. They ate lunch. They ate lunch. And then when they came back and they deliberated. So I, I believe we had recess starting at 11 when they were deliberating at first. And then they took a lunch. And they did not read the verdict until 4, 4 p.m. or 4.10. I can't remember what the timestamp was. So they went you know, back to the jury room to deliberate. And we went into the conference room all together. And it was very, very tense. And so I get this charge and I'm reading it and I'm like, what? 10 people have to agree to this before you answer that. And then it has to be unanimous on this one before you go to that one. And I was just, y'all, I'm college educated. (laughs) I couldn't understand exactly what was going on. And I know the lawyers knew, and there were people that were explaining it to the to the jury. And another thing is, my mind was so nervous and tense, I couldn't I, I couldn't think straight anyway. But I was reading it and rereading it, and I was like, oh my gosh, it sounds like just one juror mm-hmm. could could mess up the whole thing. And you've seen that, you know, happen in you know, on TV or 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 just knowing knowing that it happened, read about it in the news. Oh, this one juror. So I had in my mind, okay, there's one of them. There's one juror that's going to mess it all up. And so that was in my mind constantly for the four hours or whatever. I did. I thought at one point I was going to pass out. (laughs) It was that bad. Again, this is not, this wasn't life or death. But when it's your child and she's being bullied and bullied to the extent that her health is in, in danger, her family's in danger, all of those things that, that I talked about earlier in my earlier episode. It's, it's heart-wrenching. And especially when you know she hasn't done anything. It's one thing to be a bad kid and get in trouble. And you can ask her. I've gotten in trouble. I, before she, that would were come, valid. she would come home. Oh, the teacher said this. I, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, hmm, I don't think so. You did it. And I would check with the teacher. And yes, she did it. So it's one thing when your kid is bad and they get in trouble. And again, I know she's an adult. She's still my baby. But when she hasn't done anything, not one, not one thing. And then all those people, those people believe her. And I'm going to speak to those people right now. You people who commented on the defendant's post and supported her through her lies and agged her on. I mean, every time you sent her a DM saying, oh, you poor thing, I can't believe they're doing this to you. You are guilty. You are guilty too. You brought this on her. 
So you need to think about that. What you say means a lot. That's why my daughter, who is truthful, she knows that what you say is important. And you don't mess with that. You don't have people lie and just agree with them to agree with them. That's wrong. It's very wrong. And all of you people who keep on supporting her, you're not helping the defendant. She needs some help. She needs true friends. And you need to think about that. And you can actually take credit for a lot of what happened at trial and for my daughter winning. So think about it. Just think about it. And maybe you need to examine your own self. So if you want to know where my daughter got some of her fight, you know now. Anyway, when they came in and said they've got the verdict, again, I thought I was going to pass out. And I don't want to make this about me. It really isn't. It's about my daughter. It's about her own character. And as the lawyers came in and we were sitting down, Sarah turns around and she says, no, don't say anything. She mouthed it to me. I was like, oh, okay. So I didn't. Again, I didn't. I did smile a little bit. So we go in and sit down, and my friend is holding my hand very tightly. <laughs> and I believe the judge, when everyone sat down, the judge said, So you've come to a unanimous decision. And the minute he said that, I knew that we had won. I knew that if they came to a unanimous decision, it could not be for the defendant. There was no way. There's no way. So I relaxed, actually. And so then the rest of the proceedings happened. And I, again, was very, tried to be stoic, but I was smiling. And the numbers that they came up with, again, the money didn't mean anything. But once we dissected those numbers, it was kind of, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that. That they had tied the $33,000, the, the $20,000. And again, she's just going to be finding this out when she listens to this podcast, because I know she will listen to it. After the verdict, the defendant left the room. And as the door closed, we did get a little bit emotional and, you know, not clapping, but we were very excited. We were hugging. I think Clara even hugged me. And then Crystal was getting hugged by all of the lawyers and Caesar, of course. And then she and I hugged and we cried. It was a long time coming, as she has said multiple times, just having the verdict, having that piece of paper, unanimous verdict, that took the weight off. That was what she wanted and she needed. She needed that. Again, people would say, oh, just let it go, let it go, whatever. No, no, she needed that for her own health and mental health and physical health. So that was a good moment. We really were happy with the way the lawyers handled everything. They were very professional and very good, and we do appreciate that. And we just love Elizabeth and Sarah both. But Elizabeth has uh, stuck with us the many, many texts and emails that Crystal sent and me ordering her to send them. Um, (laughs) I'd say, send this and tell them whatever. So we appreciate that. And uh, it was, it was a good ending. And unfortunately she still hasn't stopped talking, but the power and the 
the hold that she had over my daughter's life and all of our lives and our mental state is gone. It's gone completely. I can watch some of her stuff now and it's just like, oh, well, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Nobody's listening to you. They're there for the drama. And that's very, very sad. And I wanted to kind of throw this out there because I know her husband was quoted as saying to her, to the defendant, that she was crazy. And I believe he was saying that because he knew Crystal's character. And I appreciate that. I know he lives in Logic Universe and I live there too. And so does Crystal. And any logical person would understand that Crystal would not do these things. Next time on False and Defamatory. It was a shred of hope. But the hope was, okay, well, the jury ruled unanimously in my favor. All of these statements are false and defamatory, so she'll stop. As expected, the defendant did not stop her narrative. She kept it up and actually acted like the trial hadn't even happened. Obviously, we know that the defendant was lying about me and age and all of the things that she had lied about, but the fact that she was actually lying about the verdict and saying that the documents were fake and that her followers were buying into that narrative and also commenting and saying the documents were fake was pretty outlandish because it's just public record. So it's really easy to refute a lie like that. And so the fact that she was still lying about that is, it's pretty disturbing. I've learned that part of a trauma response when you go through something like this is the need to prove absolutely everything, which is also why I've done the podcast the way that I have done it. And the Patreon subscribers get access to all of the documents because I never wanted you to have to just take me at my word. I wanted to show actual facts and evidence. We have to fact check the people that we listen to. We have to, we cannot, there is no more blind following and just believing what people say, not after what I've been through. And you can see how dangerous it can be. You disgusting human. Oh my God. There, there won't be a soul on this planet that will not know what you've done when I'm done with this. This is disgusting. There's not a single person that helped you that I will have mercy on. There's not a, oh, I, oh God. Everybody telling on everybody. So, uh, you know what I want when all this is over? I want both of your mamas to, I want all three of y'all's mamas to apologize to me. That's what I want. This person is a real human. This person has observed the defendant and her abusive behavior towards H and I online. And that is why she writes about the defendant. She is appalled by it. She is appalled by not just the defendant, she is appalled by her followers and she shares her opinions online. There are going to be people that don't agree with you. There are people since I started this podcast that don't agree with me and have said things on forums. They have left reviews on my podcast and guess what? That's okay. I don't ever wanna shut down any opposing opinion. I want to actually have a conversation. We can disagree and still be respectful. I don't believe that people should have to give up their anonymity online because of what we have just witnessed across 33 episodes in this podcast. She merely thought that I was doing this and I wasn't. And she has gone on a campaign. Now it's three years. It's three years because she hasn't stopped against me and tried to destroy my life, disrupted my career, disrupted my family, just because she thought that it was me. Can you imagine 
what she would do to someone if she truly did know their identity and that they had said some things online about her that were not favorable. I, I shudder to think what she would do if she had that information in her hands. I truly don't think that the defendant realized that if she would just stop all of this, so many of the difficulties that she's experiencing would stop, not completely go away. There are still going to be consequences, but she just keeps going and refuses to admit that she alone is the one responsible for destroying her own life. The False and Defamatory podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Crystal Wrighton, with music by Harry B. Ragsdale, who also serves as my audio engineer. First and foremost, I would like to thank my guests who generously shared their time and insight with us. I would also like to thank my husband, my mom, my children, my therapist, my attorneys, and trusted friends who walked with me through this process and made this podcast possible. Being able to finally speak the truth is incredibly healing, and I appreciate you listening more than I could ask accurately express. If you would like to continue receiving my latest episodes and stay up to date with my content, please subscribe to the False and Defamatory podcast on your preferred podcast platform and follow False and Defamatory on social media with the handle at False and Defamatory. Links to False and Defamatory social media as well as my blog can be found in the episode notes and on falseanddefamatory.com. Listening to the False and Defamatory podcast is free on most platforms. However, if you prefer a video podcast or would like to see the documents discussed in the podcast shown on screen, you can subscribe to my Patreon, where you will enjoy these benefits as well as early access, bonus content, and ad-free listening. The defendant spread her false and defamatory claims to hundreds of thousands of followers for more than two years. My goal is to share the truth so it can reach each person who heard her lies. By sharing this podcast, you can help me achieve that goal. Your support means everything to me and helps me reach a wider audience. So please, hit that subscribe button and share this podcast podcast with those you think would benefit from it. Thank you again for sharing and for listening. All social media posts referenced in this podcast were included in the evidence in case number 096-321-67820 in the 96th District Court of Tarrant County, Texas, where the jury unanimously ruled in my favor on August 24, 2022. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the False and Defamatory podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the guests are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of the False and Defamatory podcast or Crystal Wrighton. Please do not make any attempts to reach out to the defendant or her followers. Names have been redacted to protect the privacy of the defendant and her army of followers who commented on her public posts. The unanimous jury verdict has not only provided me with justice, but also allows me to share my story. The purpose of this podcast is to share the truth and to provide educational content regarding defamation and social media. If you have any questions about this or to view the documents discussed in this episode, please visit falseanddefamatory.com.